Hello and welcome to the Sala podcast. In this episode, we're revisiting a session from the 2018 Sala Forum titled Social Engagement and Working with Communities. It is a panel discussion featuring Daniel Connell, Laura Wills and Paul Gazzola. The event was held in the Ace Open building in Adelaide, which is the traditional land of the Ghana people. We acknowledge and pay respect to their relationship to country and value their past, present and ongoing connection to the land. Our MC of the day, Christopher Orchard, will start by introducing our speakers. Daniel Connell, Centre. Uh, Daniel is a visual artist whose practice is large scale, often ephemeral, often public and often realist portraits as a sustained socially engaged practice of one-to-one advocacy for migrants and people in transition. I've seen Daniel at work and uh, he's quite an amazing person. Daniel has worked in schools as a Spanish teacher and as a support worker for over 10 years in a facility for the homeless and on community gardens while studying visual arts. In 2007, Daniel moved to, to India for three years he has since worked on significant visual arts projects for festivals and government and is currently a PhD candidate in the School of Art, Architecture and Design, University of South Australia, and a lecturer at Adelaide Central School of Art. He's exhibited in the Kochi, Mrs. Biennale, did I pronounce that correctly? Yes. Mrs. Biennale, and been a finalist in the Doug Moran Portrait Prize. Earlier this year, he was invited to do a TEDx talk about his work as an artist. If you get a chance to go online and have a look at a TEDx talk that uh, Daniel did in Bali, it's a miracle. Uh, Paul Gazzola, voila, uh, is an artist and curator working in the expanded field of participatory art, performance and design that blurs the edges between art and the everyday. His socially engaged projects gather people into shared spaces of play, knowledge, production and collectivity and have been commissioned and presented in Australia and internationally. He is also current artistic director of OSCAR, is that right Paul? Open Space Contemporary Arts, as well as a PhD candidate at the University of Tasmania, very eminent school. Laura Wills, remarkable human being, is an Adelaide-based multidisciplinary artist. She has an expanded practice exploring social and environmental themes through the use of found materials, collaborative and participatory processes, and community-based projects. She regularly exhibits and has received numerous grants, awards, and residencies in Australia and overseas. She's currently working with Marion and Onkabringa Council on several public art projects, and was recently awarded the Flurio Art Prize and the National Works on Paper Prize for her collaboration with James Tyler. Laura is represented by Hill Smith, Gallery Adelaide. Um, that's your panel, and I've got a, a kind of leading question for you. Um, let me get it. It's being posted by <coughs> And um, simply put, why and how did you come to make art in a community context? Perhaps if we start with Laura and sure. work across the panel. Can everyone hear me? Yeah. Okay. So. 
I guess thinking about this, I, I like to be involved and engaged myself, and I think that's why I create, like, create a lot of those opportunities for other people. When I think about my background, I, in, in between years of art school, I rode my bike around Tasmania with a girlfriend for a year, and we lived on our bikes, and we did lots of woofing, uh, willing workers on organic farms, and in those situations, you meet a lot of people, and you learn about who they are and where they come from, and and in that way, you're learning, understanding the difference of society and people and then yourself. And for me, I, art is a bit like that. Should we all go on with that Pass question? it on. Yeah, yeah, let's keep it moving. <laughs> yeah. well, you're next. Okay. Um, thanks, Chris. Thanks, Chris, and thanks, Sala, for having us here. Thank you. Great to be on this panel. Thank you. Uh, when I was about 16, I started working at a centre for homeless people and I always um, had this drive to be an artist and then wanted, but then thought, oh, I won't go straight into art school, I'll do other stuff first, get life experience, whatever that was. So I, I studied Spanish and then became a Spanish teacher and then ended up working with um, a big influx of um, South American refugees that was uh, settling here at that time, that was in the early 90s. And that opened up my idea to, to people who were struggling with um, transition and uh, resettlement and translocation and dislocation and grief and loss and continued to work in that area for a while then went uh, sort of ha had a bit of a burnout time went to India lived there for three years and turned all that perspective around and then came back and continued to work in that space so but after that I did study art um, formally and realised that yeah, it's a good idea to study art formally. And um, then I suppose mixing those two things together, try to work out, well, how can that art practice keep involving me with communities? How can I blend those two things together? Um, and have continued to investigate that. And more and more, it's become deeply personal, I suppose. Uh, so yeah, that's the trajectory of, of how I worked on that. I don't think I ever thought I wasn't ever working with communities. I was a carpenter when I started, so making things was proactively making things for, for, for use in a practical session. And then the kind of the idea of detail or the aesthetic just felt to me that that was like your pride in what you kind of did. So, and then well, after my carpentry apprenticeship, I decided I'd become a dancer and making dance is a collective thing. So it felt kind of strange that I would suddenly choose if there was this idea to become kind of what this maybe thought of a visual artist is, that I would hermetically hide myself away in a studio. I actually don't even have a studio. So I'm sort of always bound to be making work with people. And it kind of seems to be that now that I'm in this position where I have this artistic directorship of this company, it feels like that's a really nice, encouraging way not to be um, thinking that art is only some lonesome bastion of making, that you do it for this moment that everybody's going to come and then you're sort of left afterwards in a room by yourself. So I guess I'm very curious about dialogue and discussion and activity and bringing people or making things with people feels like I'm learning a lot about the ideas and the subject matter. So I'm not sort of locking it down into my own potential myopic view that can be interesting, but maybe only to myself sometimes. So, yeah. Mm. 
That's the buzzer. That was my time. Another question, if I may. I'm, I'm taking a very big liberty here, folks, but we'll invite you into questions later. Just, do you reach out to communities, or do they reach out to you? Do you find them, or do they find you? Or is it a two-way street? Um, <laughs> I think it works both ways. Because sometimes there's... Um, I've, in the past, I've applied for um, opportunities like expressions of interest that have been put out that are linked with certain communities and sometimes um, organisations or councils have approached me to be involved in a project. Um, I think it, um, yeah, I think that's a simple answer. Um, so that's an interesting one. I think that the work that I do is deeply embedded in communities now. So I work a l significantly with the Indian community at the moment, and I'm not sure if you're aware that the Indian community is now the largest uh, migrant community in Australia. I think 38,000 over the last one year have come here. So a significant um, group of people, many are skilled migrants, and um, it's different to the work I used to do with refugees, but the similar, I think that in many ways, there's a huge gap between the experience of um, migrants coming here and what it is and what it should be. Um, there's huge gaps. Um, when I first started working with uh, skilled migrants about 2000 and, well, significantly with the Indian community when I came back from India, 2007, when a skilled migrant arrived, they'd be picked up from the airport, given a house for three months with food and furniture, etc. Now, seven years later, a skilled migrant who comes here usually has to come alone, leave their family in their own country, set themselves up here, often without any support such as Medicare um, or anything for two years, work on that, work on getting a job, and they just basically arrive. So there's an enormous amount of um, social groups now that have set up, so WhatsApp groups um, who now then have taken up the slack of whether what the government doesn't do anymore. Now, the difference between how your experience in resettling here, being good or bad, is what happens to you, sets the tone for your, the rest of your experience in Australia. Now, I'm not sure if you're aware too, but Australia is basically living off the money that comes from international students and migrants. It's our, one of our main economies at the moment. And yet still, if you don't mind me having a rant, our government at the moment continues to demonise migrants. And it loves to say that. The migrant problem, the final solution, etc. Um, but actually, Australia is utterly dependent on those skilled migrants. So South Australia sponsors a lot of skilled migrants and the money that they bring into uh, our city is the money that boosts our economy. So they spend $100,000 in their first two years setting up. That's money that comes from their home country that goes into our economy, etc. Now, I suppose I work very closely with that. Do, I, uh, do our communities approach me? I think that I see a lot of people um, trying to start a new life here, and I think that there are a lot of gaps that need to be filled. Now, many of those people are not aware that those gaps can be filled and that there are people out there to help. And many of them transfer immediately into their own communities and hardly have any contact outside of their own, own language group. And I think that's dangerous and unhealthy and sad in many ways too. So what I think my art practice is trying to do is constantly bring people into different spaces to talk, to socially engage, to, to work out. So 
No, I usually am, am in the communities, talking to communities, saying, why don't we do this? Why don't we have an art exhibition? Why don't we... Why don't you come to this art exhibition? Why don't you do this or this or this or this? Or do you know about your labour rights? So we've started all sorts of formal groups that, and everything seems to be um, branching off of that at the moment. So I work very distinctly with the Punjabi and the Sikh community. Um, many of them are transport workers, so a lot of the work I've done with Sala has been portraits of transport workers, etc. And then with the skilled migrant community, which is very different, a different group of people, um, and many of them have very little contact outside of their own language group, especially socialisation, etc. So this is the... Um, and sadly, this is the tenor of the government at the moment. Loves to squeeze the money out of the new migrants, but doesn't provide the, um, the structures or the services or the oxygen to blend and mix. And it's increasingly forming a ghettoisation mentality. And if we look at what the way Sydney and Melbourne are going at the moment, just very strong ghettoisation of different communities and different language groups. So I think that the arts... Um, has a really, really, really strong lot of work to do in breaking down those boundaries, and it can. So I suppose I see my practice in just trying to do that. That's a very long-winded answer, but maybe <laughs> I'll shut up for the rest of the panel. Sorry. No, I, I guess it's interesting. Um, maybe to say, when you follow your passion, I think that people find you, and, and, and that is probably one of the most interesting ways you can share things with people. So if you're doing your own thing, I think people, you find there's a gravitas. And I would say that I'm, as Laura's pointed out, doing two things. There's ideas that come to me or to the artists that come to approach Oscar, and we go out and we find people to work with, or the idea gets put out and you sort of wait and slowly it takes its time. And sometimes maybe the idea is put out only in your mind and it's sort of waiting around. I kind of, kind of, I totally believe in the idea that things take their time to come to fruition. And then on the strength of maybe doing something, as what's happened now in the Riverland, we've been doing projects since 2014, and another community group who want to save this Argo barge, which is this boat that has this huge history in the area, has come, come and approach us to do a work. Maybe just to sort of just flip back to that first question about working with community, one of the attempts, I think what I've been you know, my interest is really in there, is to kind of diffuse the art or change the bearing or the meaning of what art is to some people. So it feels like it, it's actually just an approachable way of thinking about the everyday world, what you do. So I think once that kind of gets more open or fragmented or broken up that people feel you're, you're more approachable, then I think people start to come and approach you more. So that would be kind of how the strategy might be evolved after you've sort of started to do your work. And, and, and I think in that finding of the community starting to find myself or the artists within the company, then it just breeds dialogue and it sort of just kind of flows from there. Maybe I could talk about projects of the everyday mm. there because that was a project that I worked on with Open Space and I was invited by Oscar to come up with an idea um, that was linked to my suburb and my neighbourhood and my community and it was really great to be, to be given the trust from Oscar to be supported to come up with an idea and a, a, a project that um, would come to fruition like a year later and um, I live opposite First Creek and the project that we made was called Creek Law and it was a guided tour along First Creek so the, the artwork was about people of the community coming and experiencing walking along the creek and it was about creek ownership who owns the creek who looks after it it 
the walk went through public and private space and um, we had different speakers along the way as well as artworks and um, a cup of tea at the end and... Um, well, not just a cup of tea. <laughs> and cakes. Cakes. <laughs> <laughs> and we had a wild lawyer speak, a forager, someone from National Parks, um, a private owner and there was a choir. It was a really beautiful event and one of the great things that happened was like uh, a lady came up to me and said, oh, Laura, this is really embarrassing, but I'm your neighbour. So th there's actually a really big wall between us, but that was so good. I met my neighbour, you mm. know. Mm. <laughs> maybe, I, I just know that the question's about a challenge, so maybe you want to speak about some challenges in the... Yeah, what, what are the challenges of yeah, working this way? Work, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's a tricky one. Because um, I think when you... When... When you want to work with communities, you're opening your practice up. You're opening your work to people to contribute to or be involved or whatever. And I guess if you're looking down the way of actually making something people add to, you want to keep the integrity of the work. So that's a real challenge to um, create a space where people feel like they're expressing themselves and adding to it, but also that it's held together. And I think that's a real challenge to... Mm to create those spaces that's for the artists to work with. And uh, also when you're working with communities, there's so many things that need to be happening and to do it on your own, it's really hard because you, as an artist, you're best at creating these. You create maybe the ideas and the, you're making the things, but you don't want to have to do all the liaison or the organising or there's just a lot of things that need to happen and that can be hard too, which is why it was great to work with Oscar and have the support. Um, in that particular project. But I think that's the same in any big art project. Uh, the more support that you have to make it the best it can be is really, really um, beneficial. Are you going to do that again, First Creek Walk? It's a great model that could be used on Please. any other waterway. Mm. Yeah, mm. especially in Adelaide that has the creeks, you know, running into the torrents. Yeah. Next time you do it, let's, mm -hmm. let's talk. Sure. <laughs> Get the new migrants to do that. Yeah. That's Really, yeah. really good. Yeah. I think that'd be fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to talk about um, any challenges that you face working this way? Uh, oh, shall I go? Yeah, yeah. yeah um, maybe just to pick up on that project, I guess, you know, the, one of the interesting challenges is to, well, maybe even to yourself, to trust that what you're doing is going to work and people will come. You know, you find yourself waiting and waiting and suddenly we had more people than we were, we were when we'd kind of numbered. We also didn't challenge ourselves with worrying about whether it was safe to walk down a creek or not. You can kind of put some things in your mind that might stop you. So there's a challenge potentially could be about the bureaucratic, might get in your way about what you, sure. what you think is possible and sure. what is not. But I, I guess always, you know, for me, I guess, well, the challenge to work with communities in a sense is to, to potentially diffuse the idea that they are also working on the art factor and it's not just you, you're the named artist. So this project we've done in Waikere, we got introduced at the end of it, and the lady at the, the whole event, we've done this booklet and they're doing these, all these projections of these eight millimeter films that the community made, and she still referred to myself and my partner, Nadia, these are the artists, <laughs> and we're doing this bit. So it's that kind of question of diffusing mm. that, that zone of where the art kind of crosses over from itself being the art, the studied artist, you know, all those things, the bastion of it and how that moves into kind of an acceptable kind of world that we're all potentially creative 
and yeah, that's I mm. think still a big challenge. Yeah. I yeah. suppose too that sometimes people think of the artists as having this particular skill, and mm. sometimes that revolves around object making or and or you know facilitating or. And I think there's two things in that, and that is, yes, artists, if we look around Adelaide and we look at Sala and we look at the things that are happening, artists do make up a fairly defined demographic of people who have been to university, people who have education, people who are of a particular ethnicity often. Um, and I think we have to own that and own the, the privileges that come with that and then see how we break through that. But it also says that, well, what is, the, what is the job of the artist in the end, too? Well, I think the job of the artist is to, to say to people it's OK to, to do unusual things. <laughs> it's OK to be in the space of the unfamiliar. It's OK to... Um, and I think, ultimately, that's a very core umbrella job of the artist, to say it's OK to not be afraid of strange things. And in many ways, I think that's what all of us are doing in our work with communities, is to say, let's approach... Um, and many of the people in Sala are doing that too. They're presenting unusual things in galleries and saying, um, let's test what it's like to be in front of something we've never seen before. How do we respond to that? And I think community work is no different to that in the sense that it's bringing people together. But I think that we've moved on a little bit from relational practices now. Mm, and I think mm, that relational mm. practice was just like, wow, it's unusual. Isn't that interesting? Now it's more, I think, um, community arts used to be sort of the poor cousin of the real arts because it was sort of um, not real. But I think now we talk about socially engaged practice. And I think that's combined the community sustained responsibility ethical aspect with the relational high art, isn't it fun and avant-garde aspect, but then said, I think they go together and I think they have to go together. And I think that, um, for example, Suzanne Lacey or someone like that, they do that really well and they have done that really well since the 70s. But now I think what we're seeing is a, a different discussion around socially engaged practice saying, actually, it's, it's all about um, talking about being in front of the unfamiliar and, and all those sorts of things. So. What you're saying is as, as a challenge of trying to sort of diffuse the, the role of the artist. I think that sometimes we, can't, we have to do that, yes, but we also have to claim that responsibility mm, mm, to, mm. to say, well, if we do have a responsibility, it's not, about, it's not a responsibility to be elite, it's a responsibility to um, create opportunities where things are going to blend and mix, and, but also go on from that too, not just for a, a, an opening night in a gallery, but to go on and on and on. And I think that's the difference between relational practice and socially engaged practice. It's a question of language mm. a lot of the time, mm. for me especially. I um, try to explain my projects to my mother. And if, <laughs> if I can explain them to my mother, then I feel like I've accomplished the ability of changing my language. And it's not about dumbing the idea down at all, no, in no way at all. So that's a strategy for me. So I think part mm -hmm. of the hurdle, if we're talking about challenge, is a question of language. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, because I, I would, you know, and in, in my comments, please don't let me think I'm not dissing the space of the gallery or the institution. I think they're super formative, mm -hmm. and for myself yeah. as well, I'm in them a lot because I, I like to be in the place where I go like, 
I don't have a clue what's going on, what's this about, and trusting the integrity of the artist that there's something they're trying to put forward as an idea. So merging that potential of the, the messy or the crazy into public space is a really interesting mm. kind of location. And I think it's where the challenges of about rules and regulations and ideas of what you can and cannot do are, are, are kind of a curious hurdle in that space as well to overcome. You're next. <laughs> we thought about doing that whole um, you can't ask that thing. Um, uh, so, if yeah. I, can I ask you, Laura? Yeah. When you approach a new project, do you start with the objective of social engagement or are you interested in something else? I think we sort of covered this in a way. Mm. Are you interested in something else which, we, which can only be explored through involving various communities? So, I suppose, are you... Do you think of yourself as a socially engaged practitioner that going and making those things, or how do you see yourself when you're thinking of a new project? Yeah, I think it depends on the project. And I, I sort of... Maybe you start, Paul, because I need to get <laughs> uh, my thoughts so together. What's the question? It's like when you, how when do you, you approach, approach a project. project? I, I think in yeah. many ways we've already yeah. covered that, but... Do you I'd approach like to probably, it as a... Can yeah. I go for this one? Yeah, sure. So the question is, <laughs> how do you know when to be hands-off and let your collaborators lead? That, for me, is a really, really interesting uh, point. When you're kind of working with groups of people, when do you sort of stand back? I mean, I'm getting my best education now. I've got two um, three-year-old boys. So I'm really at the coalface of when do you intercept and when do you let that child kind of have their kind of own learning space. And I've been reading a lot about the Reggio Emilia School. I don't know if people know about this in the north of Italy. So the idea that the, 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 the world is like an art lab in a way and creativity is left to kind of find its way. And so I'm, I'm probably at that point where, you know, in a sense, the artist or the person is kind of the, the named person who's leading this project and working with these people. And you know you've got this responsibility of this outcome and that's kind of this interesting uh, argument between, um, uh, uh, oh, what's his name, Kester and, um, oh, what's the lady's name, I forgot. Yeah, yeah, Bishop. You know, the, 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 the blur between the right of the aesthetic over the, the cultural kind of outcome of people feeling having a really good time. So in that point of this sense of responsibility, trust looms in my mind, and I just have to go on the back foot of trust and say, it's okay, we could be running behind schedule, but what is that anyway? And allow people to have their time to find it. And in that, I'm always, always amazingly um, kind of given the joy of seeing incredible things come. And I think as everybody who works in this room knows as an artist, sometimes nothing's happening, it's nothing's happening. The exhibition's even going up and it's still like, what the hell is this about? And then the penny drops and things come together. So I'm a really, really, I'm a really big fan of that, that idea of trust. It doesn't mean I'm always, always successful. <laughs> and then the other thing is a lot of people are coming up to you and, and handing you back responsibility as you're going. And you're going, no, I don't want it. So I, it's that kind of merger and I think you've become kind of, you know, what is it? You become, you become so many things, I think, in this position when you're the, the, the artist, named artist leading this community project. And in, in a sense, I'm very interested at the start of projects is how I might actually dissolve myself into that process and dename myself or, or working out where these people feel they're credited and their credit starts to rise. Yeah. 
Um, I've got well, a question for you now, because yeah. you missed the last one. I was just going to add to that about trust and how important it is, and it also relates to when you're working collaboratively with people, mm. um, and how it's great to be able to trust um, another person that you're working with to bring to the table what they want to do um, or contribute or whatever. And um, yeah, you, you, it's, it's great to offer that to an artist, the trust. And you know, you can always, if that's hard to do, you can always do it. And then if it doesn't work, you don't have to work with that person again. But it's a good experience because often collaboration is a really romantic word. Yeah, let's collaborate. It's going to be great. Yeah. Um, but in reality, that's not the case. Collaboration yeah. is really hard and it's really tricky because especially as artists, you have your own ideas and you have your own way that you imagine it to be or whatever. So, um, yeah, it's really fraught, I think. Um, so, yeah, being able to just let go a bit, but also find the right connections or the right people that you need to be connected with. like. Um, the people that have the same kind of way of working or, or, or ideas-wise that mix or not mix on purpose, but those kind of things. Mm. Yeah. Well, we could keep talking about that, I think. I think it's very interesting. The idea of trust as a material in a way, and if you think about your um, all the practices of people in this room who work with paint and sculpture, and we all you know, know each other, it's, you can think of all our practices, and it, you know, we get good with those practices as we learn to trust the material and as we learn to know the material, as we learn to understand what the material is doing. And I think working collaboratively or working relationships or working in socially engaged practices is similar. You learn to work with particular people or particular communities and you know them and then you get to know them more deeply and more deeply and more deeply. So you learn in the same way an understanding of a material in the same way an understanding of working with a community. That doesn't mean to sort of objectify or materialise or whatever you, you know, instrumentalise the the, the communities that you, you, you're working with, I think it just means that you think of the fact that it's your investigation, it's, your, it's important, and that the artwork is not just the object that ends up in the gallery space, the artwork is actually the continually getting closer to people, continually moving towards an understanding of whatever it is you're investigating whatever it is you're feeling, whatever it is is driving you. And, but doing that in, that in open-hearted, honest, sincere, genuine manner with all of the problems. Um, we're talking about challenges, I suppose, one of the things with working cross-culturally or you know, cross-power dynamics, which we often do, um, and I do continuously, is the challenge that you either are going to be accused of appropriation or exotification or you're going to do it. And you have to face that very, very, very strongly and clearly all the time. But you also have to own it and realise that the world is made up of power dynamics. <laughs> How do artists um, either pull them apart, diffuse them, look at them, analyse them, destroy them, reverse them? Can we do that? Is it possible? I don't know. But to keep on asking those questions is... is um, is incredibly important. And then I think one of the things is it's only built on trust. There was a really good quote by Black Douglas, Adam Hills, who, who um, talked, I suppose, entered the debate on appropriation. And he said, maybe appropriation is sort of the wrong way of looking at it. And he said, instead of thinking about appropriation, what about thinking about commitment? Where is your commitment to that community? Where is your ongoing commitment? And maybe you know, 
like a marriage, what begins with sort of, you know, lust ends in love and commitment and what begins in a situation where you're attracted to or interested in a particular idea ends up being a much bigger commitment. I think that's what you're talking about with collaboration. Collaboration is often seen as this romantic, oh, mm. you know, it's going to be mm. great, let's do that. It's just like, you know, an artist might say, oh, let's, let's work with steel, it's going to be great, you know, or let's work with that. And then you work out there's so many other things you have to understand. Or um, working in collaboration and then you realise it's actually about an ongoing and ongoing and ongoing thing. And I think that's the only way you deepen your practice. Um, so you introduce mm. the world yeah. trust, and that, yeah, I think that's sure. really, really important. I have, a, I think for me, you know, I'm the work as you know, the work with the company and the work that I do on my own. It's like I'm in serial relationships. Yeah, <laughs> they come, they go, they happen, and um, and then you might you may remain friends or you may not. But one of the main ingredients, I think, for the successful collaboration is to make the analysis of what's the mutual interest that you're going for. And if you kind of decipher that point of that mutual interest, then you, and, if, and, and I always like to think that, okay, what are our goals? So it's clear we wanted to try to achieve X, Y, and Z. Once we know that they're kind of that underway, you can actually interrogate that and there's an empowerment on both sides that you're kind of clearly got this agenda. But this kind of mutual agreement means that there's a passion that both sides are sharing for some subject, idea, outcome, material even. You know, and maybe that's the curious thing. I worked with um, a French artist called Paul Grandjean many years ago and we spent our first weeks of our residency working out how to work together. And I kind of feel that that's how, when coming with new communities or, or anybody, there's this point where it's like you're just trying to work things out. And sometimes you're kind of doing everything but potentially working on the, the outcome. And those kind of, it's like meeting, drink, you know, it's like a date, you know, you've got to find out whether there's going to be another one. And if there is, <laughs> you know, what, where you're going to go to. So I really like that point of the, 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 the challenge of the challenge of deciding even on both sides, if we're going to go for this, what are we going to kind of, um, what's the word, be prepared to deal with with the other person. And I remember at the end of the project in Wakery that <laughs> the lady who, <laughs> who said in front of the crowd at the end of the thing, well, and mentioned me and said, yeah, Paul's not always easy to deal with. <laughs> and I was like, oh, great, okay. <laughs> and sure, I, I guess not. But the, but the thing was, <laughs> I would have probably put my hand up and said, and, well, you're amazing, aren't you? <laughs> Do, you know I mean? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So it's not, it's not that. Clearly it's not easy. And I think that's the point where you're saying about commitment. So truly circling back to that idea that you do kind of commit yourself and you know that you're committed for a short term. And I think with yourself, you're working with these communities much, much longer. I don't have that position in the work we do, but I do maintain, you know, with some people, friendships, and some things are ongoing. And in fact, I have a relationship with the town of Waikere. We've done projects there for over, you know, since I said 2014. And one of the most hilarious things that happened is we had children on the way and we got humanised. We weren't the abstract artists who kind of comes along. We became humanised. And that was a really curious thing about what it is to appear human to a group of people that don't know anything about you 
and think of you as this kind of idea of the rogue artist who's potentially doing weird things all the time. So in a sense, I know for myself, probably in projects, that I'm now really looking to the idea of finding even that mutual kind of point of interest that's not just in the project, but finding other things. And it's not lying to, be, to, to, to find friendship, it's actually exploring what other ideas you share that I think start to feed in. And I think that's maybe the, the wild thing that, you know, if I say an artist does as this huge weird generalisation because everybody's totally capable, it's that's bringing the other ideas in, bringing the kind of the A, B and C and the thing that's, you know, 20 kilometres away as an idea and suddenly you throw it on time and you go, I know it sounds crazy but this just might work. And I think that giving that lead to the other person or the other group that they might bring on something that doesn't feel like it 100% fits, feels like that's where you start to level this kind of idea about um, power, if you use this word of power brokerage, kind of the ideas of this, we're short of sharing something. And sharing means you give it away to somebody and you wait. And then sharing means that they, after they've played it, they give it back to you. So that's why I sort of mentioned this idea of my children, because that's what you're kind of up against. You know, you don't want to step in, sometimes you just got to wait. And it might get destroyed, but does that mean that that's kind of, that could be a really the best thing that could happen to that idea? So, yeah. Thanks, Bob. Well, to take questions? Yeah. Does anyone have any questions? Thank you. That was really interesting. Um, I just want to learn a bit more about some of the outcomes that um, you've seen happen in some of the projects that you've worked on. I know some of you, or all of you, <laughs> obviously, but, um, yeah, just talking about, you know, what, what's happened, what's been the benefits from the projects you've worked on. It was great to be on residency at Salvia House and... Um, create works that were um, in a gallery space but also outside of a gallery space and invite the community to come and be involved in the work. So I was researching the estuary of um, the Onkaprunga estuary that extends 10.5 kilometres inland from Port Norlunga to Old Norlunga. It's this beautiful um, winding curve, all tidal. And I grew that estuary in grass in the um, grounds of Salvia House and continued the line of a river around the whole house. And we had a workshop uh, where we invited the local community, everyone, to come and make things out of natural materials to add to the river, whether that be little houses or um, little um, animals, fish, insects, and um, lots of things were added in. And it was a really um, great opportunity for people to uh, think about that space and community of Port Norlunga and envision it because people could see and relate, oh, that's the sand dunes, that's where the river mouth, that's that bridge and people were walking around with their kids putting specific um, bits in and then at the opening I collaborated with Naomi Keat who's a singer-songwriter and we uh, sung a song and actually walked the length of the watercourse as well and uh, have friends that say, oh, we were canoeing on the Onkapringa the other day singing your song. You know, it's really beautiful. It's a song about the river and being on the river. Yeah. I suppose through my, uh, my research, my PhD research, I've gone from doing drawings to doing sort of personal investigation work and then um, what I call um, advocacy work. That means representation as advocacy. So moving from representational drawings to representation as in a lawyer might represent you advocate, advocating work. So um, because I realised that there's this one question that Franz Fanon asked, and that is, um, he asked a long time ago in the 50s, what does the black man want? So it was like, let's change the questions. So that was the beginning of post-colonial post -colonial critique, saying we're not listening 
to anybody. Nobody's listening to each other. So Franz Fanon said, what does the black man want? So I thought, I've got to shift the portrait drawing. I do portrait drawings to what does the subject want? So in the end, the subject wants permanent residency. They want belonging. They want a job. They want advocacy. They want a home. They want their kids to be accepted into schools. They want all those sorts of things. And it's not as though they're, they're standing at, sitting at home on the couch saying, I want all these things. It's just that um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a lot of gaps needed to facilitate those sorts of things. So if we're going to um, build more cohesive, healthier societies, we've got to sort of start saying now, hang on, what is it you need? Oh, I can help with that. Now, um, artists do come with a lot of cultural capital. We're part of the cultural production industry and we come with a lot of stuff that we can do. We link with people. We're linked and networked. And if you think about the people that you're networked with, it's amazing. And so linking those sorts of things, we don't just have technical abilities and aesthetic abilities and um, abilities to see things. We have lots of abilities to communicate and to talk and to link and to make relationships, etc. So applying those sorts of abilities to those situations, I think, has found been really interesting. So that's converted into... Um, we started a project in 2012 called Turbans and Trust, myself with a, a good friend, Harjit Singh. So Turbans and Trust um, is a group that, facilitate, that brings in the Sikh community to tie turbans on people's heads and to talk about difference. So we do that at different... Um, uh, we started in the Asia Festival, but it's now in Perth and Queensland, and we've tied turbans on people, including Bob Catter. He removed his hat to have a turban tied on him and um, all sorts of things, but the questions <laughs> around difference. It's about who are you and who are you and who are you and who are you? And it's about the Sikh community asking that. We did the Darshan project. Um, Darshan project is about, um, I was a drawer, but the, we did it in um, Fed Square in Melbourne a couple of times where I worked with a couple of people from a Sikh radio station, a Punjabi radio station, they were all Sikhs, uh, who would then approach people randomly in Federation Square and ask them if they wanted their portrait drawn, and then we'd make a display. We're still working on that. Um, the Parent Longstay Visa Committee, which was uh, a committee that we ended up meeting Bill Shorten and the Shadow Minister for Immigration, and we actually changed the Labour Party policy on... Um, the Federal Labour Party policy on parent long-stay visas to enable parents to stay for... Um, I mean, in the 80s, we had what was called the family reunion system, where parents could just come and live here permanently. Then that changed, and now parents can't come... They can come for a maximum of 12 months. Um, we are trying to get a five-month, a five-year continuous stay, and the Labour Party actually adopted that. And suddenly, you know, there's artists negotiating with the shadow minister for immigration, saying, "No, it shouldn't be $10,000 bond; it should be a $5,000 bond." And I suddenly thought, <laughs> have this out-of-body experience. Who am I at the moment? <laughs> I thought I was a drawer, and now I'm saying $5,000 bond for parents. Anyway, they actually changed it, and three weeks later they announced it. And then that was before the last federal election. And then three days after that, the Liberal Party, who had just said no, they realised this was a big issue because we had 45,000 people on our Facebook group, and our shares were getting 500,000 people seeing them. And the Liberal Party suddenly said, oh, We've got a new policy too, and it happens to be exactly the same as the Labour Party policy. Oh, that's great. And uh, so they announced that. Then they uh, unfortunately won the election. No political bias here. But um, then, of course, after the election, they said, oh, oh, we'll go to community consultation, which means that's an excuse for we're just going to do our own thing. Mm. So community consultation they had a couple of meetings with their own community representatives, then they changed their 
policy. It did an entirely entire backflip. Anyway, at least we changed the Labor Party policy and made the Liberal Party sit up and take notice. So that's, I suppose, a fairly practical outcome. Um, we have a Sutnam group, which is um, the South Australian Professional Network Association for Migrants, and we meet once a month and do CV and cover letter writing. And um, we have a, a house where we um, provide sort of temporary accommodation for people who are um, in need. Um, that's only a few people at a time, but we've had about 15, 16 people through that. And it also provides sort of that. So it provides um, orientation and networking and some of the artists here have all been to that house and, and met the people and we try and utilise. Because, the, the, you know, as artists, we're actually really nice people. And, it's, it's, it, you know, if you go to art events, people are welcoming and they're like, oh, wow, where are you from? And welcome and can I do this for you? And artists have huge cultural capital to, to share. And you know, it's very different to going to any other events. So you try and drag people who are experiencing a deficit of belonging, take them to an art event. And they'll be like, oh, you know, these people are so nice. It's really, really, really useful. It's a really useful vehicle. Um, so I suppose there are some of the practical outcomes. Another long-winded answer, sorry. Practical That's outcome. great. No, it's yeah. really interesting to hear. Mm. Um, so, Oscar, um, well, we've, the project in Wake Career didn't end up with a 48-page booklet, um, a four-DVD set. It was basically all around eight-millimetre films that were made in the town by a group of people in the 50s and 60s. We had outdoor projections on the buildings on a Friday night. We had a film event and an exhibition. Um, we've also put some things in galleries. There's going to be something in, um, in Fontenelle in September that's related to a project that Janine's doing in Mutton Cove, which is all there on the north uh, uh, Lefebvre Peninsula, just outside of... It's about the history of the area. Um, uh, what else? Yeah, so I think Oscar, and as a company, is only really putting um, work out where the artist or the collaborators want to go. So we work primarily in public spaces, and just trying to think what else has kind of happened. Um, oh, yeah, sorry. Well, Laura's project in a creek, the, we curated a big event in the um, for, called Sioux Series of Unexpected <laughs> Events, which was across the city of Onkapringa. Yeah, the mandate was, can you just do some projects across a 150 square kilometer area of the city <laughs> for this much money? It's like, yeah, okay. And nine artists, so that was nine diverse works. James Dodd, um, uh, sorry, I'll, I'll, I won't say the names because there's too many, but nine artists, we'd made 40 works 40, 45 different events across this town. One happened in an old, um, a vacant block of land near the old Dinga Library, which was like a crop, a, you know, where you mow a lawn to make a cropping thing. Um, so on a jetty, David Cross, uh, an artist from um, Melbourne, came along, who does this inflatable works that happened in the Wollonga um, um, market on a Saturday morning. And so I think my curious interest and is to kind of put things where they're not potentially expected, you know, or even meant to be sometimes. Um, but Oscar and I, myself, I've done projects. I've had a um, eight and a half metre tall um, windmill built in the rocks in Sydney. Um, another project that was connected to that, which was, you know, probably one of my most humbling experiences, 
I walked around the, I was invited to kind of think about some ideas in the rocks area, and I walked around the area, and coming from South Australia, it's really interesting where you're in the town, and you're seeing all this dual naming going on. The rocks had one zone dual named. And it was just like, why is this place? It's like so significant. Anyway, so the, the, I kind of came up with this idea. The, the name of the rocks in the indigenous language is Talawalada. We had T-shirts. We presented it was over three years. It was called a language on land project. People had T-shirts. We gave bookmarks out. So it was trying to get the word out. They did over three years. And the attempt from the beginning was to try and get the area renamed. So the paradox is that we were dealing with the historian, a white male, funnily enough, who said, no, 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 it's not Tullawalada. They just used to, the, they, it's a great other word he used, they just used to call it over there. And I said to him, when you tell me your <laughs> suburb where you live, tell me what your borders are. I don't know. I said, like, that's just a paradox on paradox. And if I go into the museum, clearly it's also like, well, we didn't really think too much of the indigenous nation in the turn of the century. Anyway, so there was this kind of dissing. In the end, we managed to geographically get the Talawalada place, which is in front of the MCA now. And the paradox on paradox is that when you go into the MCA, they already named this as Talawalada, the area. As soon as you crossed the road and went into the land of the rocks, they, they didn't call it that. So, so I'm very curious about art's potential, as you're sort of yeah. saying, Daniel, and you know, so especially with what you're doing as well, Laura, is that it kind of goes past what even you're, in your, the finite of what you're making, that it has a residue mm -hmm. and keeps carrying on. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Fantastic. Thank you. Would you thank our panel?